0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome everybody to another edition of the Swarmcast. David Eichel along with Sean Bach and Dylan Byrne. Uh, recapping last weekend's game where Iowa just fi- finds a way to win uh, against the
1: in-state Cyclones. Uh, so guys, first of all, I guess, uh, how are we doing after the weekend? Doing well. Um, got to go back home this weekend, which was which was nice. Got to go see some high school football as well. So... Saw some Iowa targets, Tyler Morrow, 2021 offensive lineman from Davenport Assumption, and then Friday head back to the suburbs of Chicago to see Providence Catholic and Brother Rice, and which Providence features 2021 tight end 24-7 sports three-star James Gears. And then um, Brother Rice has 2021 three-star running back Willie Shaw, who also has an Iowa offer, so it was a very, very productive weekend. Got to see the family. Um and we'll be on the road again this weekend, which is always fun. So nice to be back in Iowa City for sure.
2: I'm not gonna sit here and sugarcoat it. I did not do as much as Sean did this weekend, but um still a fun weekend. Watched the game with my parents and some family, so um can't complain.
0: Yeah, you know, it was it was a very long day uh for me Saturday. I'll I'll just I'll just start that off the bat. You know with college game day and everything in Ames and all the weather delays. I mean, it was, it was a fun day for sure, but it it was just a really weird day like with the delays and kind of the vibe just around Jack Trice. It was just, it just felt completely weird. The game was even more weird. Uh, But I guess let's just dive right into it. Uh, Sean, what's kind of your opening takeaways after Iowa, Uh, you know, just just found a way to survive.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good place to start is just, they found a way to survive. And that's what, that's what good teams do, especially in games that things really didn't seem to go their way. I never watching the game. I never really got the feeling that Iowa was going to come out with this one, believe it or not. Um, I kind of thought maybe in the fourth quarter at the beginning, when Stanley had that touchdown, I was kind of thinking, Oh, maybe they got a chance, but the whole game, i never really had confidence that Iowa was going to come away with this one. And, just kudos to them because that's a tough road environment. There's a lot of weird things that happen. It's tough to stay focused in that kind of environment with all the weather delays and the crowd and kind of just everything everything that really happened over the weekend. So kudos to them. Um, very good, hard-fought game and definitely a big confidence booster heading into Big Ten play.
2: I mean, it, I mean it's really tough for them. You know, you come out and you – you get the ball right away, you go 15 plays, 68 yards, and they, they get three points. And then ISU runs one play and we have a weather delay. Like that's, and then you're, so you get into the locker room, visiting locker rooms, not as comfy as home locker rooms. You're back out for a little while and then you go back in. So for them to, you know, just kind of endure that along with the weather, um, you know, they they caught a break there at the end with with the guys running into one another, but um, you know, I said in my game day thoughts that, you know, win the turnover battle, you're going to win the game. Iowa gets get the big turnover in the red zone. Uh, Brock Purdy fumbles. You know, Iowa State was driving there. That, that drive actually started on Iowa State's 48, which was the best field position they had all day. Um, so for them not to come away with points in a game where we knew points were going to be at a premium was big. And then, you know, you look at Iowa. Their best drive or their best starting field position was at the Iowa State 25, and they cashed that in for six. So, I mean, though that's another factor along with the turnovers that you know really kind of bit Iowa State in the butt. Uh, but really, just a hard, hard fought game for for both teams, and you know Iowa did enough to come away with another road win in Ames.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think one of the biggest things, too, was, like you said, Dylan, uh, just the lack of turnovers. Iowa hasn't turned the ball over against Iowa State in five years, and that's it's no coincidence that they're 5-0. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, the end of that game when Iowa State's guys kind of ran into each other, you know, I, I just think that, that just the overall youth of Iowa State's team had an impact on that because it just made me think of Iowa last year when they had the mishap against Wisconsin because – if Iowa doesn't muff that punt, I mean, you, you know, who knows what a, what the score, that what the outcome of that game is. Uh, so it just kind of made me think of that. But Iowa, with all the injuries, I think four stars were out, easily four of their top six defensive backs were out. Uh, and Brock Purdy, I think, did a nice job. I think Matt Campbell had a really great game plan coming in with, with the way they wanted to pass the ball. Uh, DJ Johnson grew up really fast. I wrote an article about that today on Hawkeye Insider. Um, You know, especially just after giving up that early touchdown, biting hard on that double pass. And, you know, what a call for by Campbell and Purdy uh, and the offensive staff to run that right as they got out of that weather delay because I think that completely took Iowa off guard and it really tested DJ Johnson right away and they got up early. Uh Nate Stanley started off 6 of 13, completed 16 of his final 22 passes. Brock Purdy completed only 8 of his final 17 passes. I just think that that's maturity, that's just having more experience. Uh but I think Nate Stanley especially showed me a lot during that game. He you know, he threw a couple bad passes early, but he he did what we need to to win and he had a couple big time runs and I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to Brian Ferentz tomorrow about Nate Stanley's willingness to run this season because he's picked up a lot of a lot of crucial yards uh when they need them most
2: I mean you think about Iowa State you know they had that the trick play like you mentioned Dave and you know you kind of you can't blame them for going after uh DJ Johnson young kid we saw him bite on the on the pass on the play fake um in the opener against Miami of Ohio so you know, if you're Matt Campbell, you're thinking, you know, maybe there's a chance that this kid will bite on this, and he did. Um, and then I want to say he was the guy with the blown assignment on the second touchdown, too, to open up the second half to Tariq Milton, the 72-yard touchdown pass. So, um, but like you said, he I mean, he grew a, as the game wore on, um, and that was a big reason, you know, he was uh, one of the Big Ten freshmen of the week.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was Kerner and Johnson. I think on that. I think one of the Iowa State
0: miscommunication on it.
1: Yeah, I think one of the Iowa State the Iowa State wide receiver went under and they didn't call out switch or anything and they just stayed Mm -hmm. on their man. I think at that point it was kind of like you gotta stay on your man if you're that deep with them. Is that is that was what the T V guy said.
0: Yeah, that's what uh that's what Gino Stone said because originally I thought it was Gino Stone but it was it was Kerner and just the young guys in the secondary not properly communicating uh like Dylan said on this on you like you guys said on the switch. Uh and you know th- that's just what comes when you have a bunch of new guys in the secondary because keep in mind they ha- it's unbelievable just I mean for them to only allow 17 points when all those DBs are out like people don't understand it takes a lot of chemistry uh to work in a defensive backfield especially the way Iowa likes to play defense uh so for them to really kind of pull it together in that second half and especially during the home stretch was a big deal and I think I think something else that's worth noting is Phil Parker I think coached a great game especially late in the game I mean we people were begging him and begging Iowa to start blitzing because Purdy you know traditionally when he gets pressured like that isn't the most stable quarterback. And I think they blitzed something like 12 of their final 24 plays, I counted. And that's part of the reason why Purdy just was inconsistent down the stretch. Uh, And that's why he also overthrew that, I think, fourth and 13 uh, pass when Jack Kerner just batted it down uh, inside the own five instead of uh, intercept it, which was, I think, a very high IQ play by him as well.
2: I mean, watching that, it it almost seemed like, iowa's the defensive backs and phil parker they were kind of playing you know it was a bend but don't break game and it looked like they were kind of playing it that way like you know we'll give you a seven yard we'll give you six yards here seven yards there but you know at the end of the you're going to have to punch this thing in the end zone and you know iowa state couldn't do it because i mean they were giving them a lot it was almost like they were trying like in baseball you're playing no doubles you're playing deep it was almost like they were trying to, to play you know for nothing over the top it was
1: it was really weird, but I mean, I guess I, I guess it worked. <laughs> yeah, and it pissed off a lot of people too that they were getting that I would say was getting such or having such an easy time with some of those shorter routes. Some of those curl routes or post routes across the middle too, but there's always a strategy behind that. I mean it was. I mean, like like
0: I mentioned earlier, I mean, I think I tweeted a few times, it was just pitch and catch. And especially when Iowa's pass rushing just has not had the success this early season that they I think they'll need to have especially come Big Ten they've only had two sacks so far this season that that's not gonna get it done when you're going up against the Wisconsin's uh Nebraska uh Michigan I mean just these Big Ten competition in games that you need to win there needs to be pressure uh on the quarterback so I still think the defensive line has a very high ceiling. There's a lot of talent on there, but I do think that there just needs to be a few adjustments to kind of get that. Uh, but, you know, I, I do want to give a quick uh, quick shout out to uh, Makai Sargent. I mean, I, I was shocked he played based on what I heard pregame. I think there was chatter around maybe 7 a.m. that there was a, quote, other significant player that had an injury in practice and nobody could really figure it out for a while. And then, Word came out was Makai Sargent. Uh, and for him to be able to play through that wrist injury, I, I that's a lot of toughness, man, especially since you're carrying the ball. He had to carry the ball in his off hand the entire game. I don't know if, if, you, if you turn up the film, he had the ball in his left hand the entire game so he wouldn't have to put his right uh, wrist at risk. And he didn't have a club or anything on his right arm. But Makai Sargent still put up a really nice game. I think he finished with uh, 58 yards on the ground on 13 carries. And he also had uh, 25 yards on three catches. So he still found a way to get it done. And I still think he's really developing into that player that Iowa needs in the backfield.
2: To me, it was astounding how many third – I mean, if you look at their five scoring drives, they converted third and long on, I think, three of the five. The the big third and 22 to Amir Smith-Marset. 14 yards for Stanley on third and 11 on that drive that started at the Iowa State 25. So, I mean, just the – I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it, but the ability to you know those clutch plays like that, um, ten and nineteen on third down. Iowa State was three and nine, so I mean that's over fifty percent on third downs. And if you're Iowa State, you know that's a that's a big stat, man. Because if you on third and twenty-two, if you can get those guys off the field, they were still Iowa was still well in their own territory. You know, it's another punt, but you give up a big play, and those are the types of things that really wear on you as a defense. And, uh, you know, Iowa did a really good job of staying poised and really just, you know, coming up with big plays when they needed it.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing that has to do with maturity, too, with Nate Stanley. And when you look at the tailbacks, even Tyler Goodson as well, and some of the younger guys at wide receiver, that they just seem so poised down there and third down. Um, With everything that they had to go through during the game, all the weather conditions – um, and with the rivalry, those those little things mat- seem to matter a little bit more, especially in these close games, too. And Iowa just seemed to connect on all of it. It just seemed like one of those classic those classic Iowa games where things seemed to go their way, um, the little things, and that seemed to make a big difference in the end.
0: Yeah, you know, it was interesting, too, because even after you watching uh, – I'm going to go back to the Rutgers game real quick. Even after rewatching watching that uh, – it didn't occur to me that Iowa, I think, only finished 2-13 against Rutgers on third down. And like you said, Dylan, that they were 10-19 of 19 against Iowa State, mm-hmm. despite looking much more clunky on on offense, which is just an amazing stat to me. But like, like you mentioned, Sean, too, I think Tyler Goodson's really starting to emerge, and I think it's pretty clear that he's not going to redshirt. But with that being said, I do think he needs to get a little bit more run because if you're not going to redshirt him with the kind of talent that he has, I really think they got to – they got to push up his uh, just the amount of reps that he gets, especially since feels like he breaks off a 10 plus yarder about every third run this season. I mean, he, the way he makes people miss is just so different on uh, than anyone else. Iowa has on the roster, but you know, Nate Stanley coming up big uh, and I do want to mention this too. Uh, like you mentioned that third and 22, that's probably one of the best passes I've seen Nate throw in his career at Iowa. I mean, he over like through a guy linebacker's hands in between two Iowa State defenders. And I don't think a lot of people expected Iowa to try to convert it. But I mean that was one of the biggest plays in the game. And that play when Brandon Smith uh
2: from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the Siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band YouTube. Kiss the future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply
0: injured his shoulder temporarily. I thought that was a really good pass. I thought Brand Smith should have caught that and it would have been a touchdown, but I don't think Brand Smith got high enough off the, off the ground. But I thought it was a really good ball by Nate, uh, switching sides of the defense real quick. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I, I do think that Epinesa needs to find a way to get more open. Uh, I, I think we need to see a little bit more productivity out of the, uh, just Chauncey Golston, I feel like it's been MIA, uh, since the start of the season, defensive tackle has been very on and off. But I also think that I'm interested to see how many guys come back through the bye week. I don't know. If, I think Matt Hankins probably has a good shot. Kayvon Merriweather. And I. I right now I need, I'm need. i excited to talk to Phil Parker because I want to hear where Julius Brents is at because he seemed healthy and we talked to him at Iowa Media Day. So for him to be out this long, that, that, that's at least news to me. But I don't think we've seen the best out of the defense – but for them to only give up 17 points to a very good Iowa State team, being down that many starters, especially in the secondary, when they're going up against a quarterback like Brock Purdy, I, I think that's a pretty good sign going forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, another thing to take into account, maybe um, with the pass rushes. I mean, that rain, it rained a lot. So, I mean, that could have had an effect on the guys, too, uh, guys like Vanessa. And, I mean, Iowa State's offensive line did a pretty good job, too. And then uh, you know Brock Purdy's pretty crafty, and they did th- they did a good job of getting the ball out uh, quick too. And I think we're going to see a lot of that, um, especially if Iowa's defensive backs stay a little banged up. Obviously, you hope guys like Matt Hankins and Julius Brents can get healthy. DJ Johnson's coming along, but there were still areas where he struggled. Um, but you know, quarterbacks, offenses, offensive coordinators are going to try to you know get that football out quick when they're passing because they know you know, the type of players that Iowa has on the defensive line, and that's that's one
1: way to eliminate them. Let's give credit to Iowa State, too. I mean, their offensive line wasn't great against UNI. In fact, it was pretty bad, but against Iowa, it seemed to do pretty well, and those guys up front are pretty solid for Iowa State, and really, kind of the, even with all the playmakers Iowa State has on offense, the offensive line is the key part of that offense. They're kind of everything that kind of develops through them, and they did, they, did, they did their job pretty well.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I can't believe we've made it this far in the podcast. We haven't talked about the special teams. I mean, I was one of the people that was very skeptical of how the special teams would look. But Amir Smith-Marset hasn't had the chance to really have a breakaway on a kick return yet. But despite a rough start from Michael Sleep-Dalton, the graduate transfer from Arizona State, he's been phenomenal. Uh, the last two weeks, I think averaging over 47 yards a punt, uh, very a couple of 50 yards plus pinning teams inside of 20. And Keith Duncan's a perfect eight for eight. And I'm interested to see if uh, he's going to be on scholarship soon because right now, I mean, he's he's a very, very, very big reason why Iowa ended up up saying, uh, Iowa State. So I think the great Iowa teams in the past have had great special teams, and I think that this team is off to a good start. I think the return game has a lot of work to do still. Nico Regani did show a nice flash on that uh, after Iowa forced their first three and out. Uh, he returned it up to the Iowa State 25. But like I said, Amir Smith-Marset hasn't been himself in the return game. But right now I think there's a lot to like about Iowa special teams, and I do think that can make a one-er one, one game, at least a one-game difference come conference play.
2: Yeah, you know you you come out in that second half and they give up that big long touchdown pass. Um, then subsequently on offense they go they go three and out. Um, but Sleep Dalton gives them a 51-yard punt um, to kind of reverse the reverse the field. Uh, the Iowa defense then forces a punt and then uh, you know the offense gets on the field and they go 12 plays, 56 yards, and that was when that big third and 22 happened. Uh, I think that's kind of when. You know, things started to turn in Iowa's favor. Um, so, I mean, special teams, obviously, when you're a team like Iowa that likes to control the clock, um, you know, really milk it for all it's worth, uh, you know, that seven-minute, 23-second drive to open up the game, that that proved that right there. So, you, know, you throw in a punter that can boot it, you know, 45, 50 yards every time and reverse that field, um, it just makes a team like Iowa that likes to slow you down be real methodical that much dangerous.
1: Yeah, no, that's – and just the whole punting thing too. I tweeted out a stat the other day. Um, I think it's – I know he's only been – or this is his first year, but if Michael Sleep Dalton continues his punting, um, just how he's done so far, his average especially, then he would be – he would have the highest career mark since 2000, Um, and that beats guys like Ryan Donahue and David Bradley who did a hell of a job punting for Iowa. Um, even Ron Caluzzi, too, which would be an insane mark. He's at – Sleep Dalton's at 45.9. I'm not sure if that was before or after the game, but I know on Saturday he averaged like 47.9 on his punts, um, which is which is pretty impressive, especially when you take into account the conditions that they were playing in. So just being able to flip the field and um, make things difficult for offense, not letting them get good field position, um, and setting your defense up to succeed is is something that Iowa fans really, really have seemed to admire in the past season. Um, and in the past few years too, just with the struggles that they had to punt the game, and now that they really have it, you kind of see the effects that maybe I mean maybe the defense hasn't been as solid as you'd like, but if the punting game wasn't there, then you'd see it even more that they haven't been as good. And I think the punting has really kind of held has held their uh, end of the bargain very. Very much so, and kind of helped out the defense in that regard, too.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I I guess the next question would be, I mean, what's the biggest takeaway from this game? Because for me, it's just Iowa finally, you know, think about over the last five games uh, that Iowa's played, including the bowl game, game game-winning field goal against Nebraska, coming up with a clutch interception against uh, Mississippi State in the Outback Bowl and finding a way to beat Iowa State. It feels like after Iowa gave up that three-game skid last season that cost them the Big Ten uh, West title, it feels like that this team finally is – a new team, but I mean a lot of returning pieces, but it feels like these guys have kind of learned how to overcome adversity and to kind of just put it all together and win those close games. I mean, that's at least my biggest takeaway, uh, and maybe it's something that they can use later on the season because there are going to be a lot more close games – uh, especially with all the tough road games that they have this season?
2: You know, I think it's just a sign of the, you know, it's a veteran team. So, I mean, it's going to help on the road against, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Nebraska. You know, we've talked about, you know, how tough of a road slate it is for him. And, you know, having that third-year starting quarterback is going to help a lot. Um, he's played in, you know, he's played in big-time road games before. So, I mean, this won't be anything new for him. Um, I was gonna be fine though. It uh you know, it's just a sign of that, that veteran team and, you know, a veteran coaching staff as well. It's um it's been it was impress- it was an impressive win.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I think like I said before, it's just just a huge confidence builder and something that you need with the with the brutal schedule that they have coming up. I mean, Middle Tennessee State will be one of those uh bye games where you can get some maybe the true freshman in, um, give maybe some of your backups a little run, but in terms of how considering how thin in depth Iowa was in the defense in the secondary, um, you're playing without a future first round pick Larry Jackson, um, the field conditions, everything that happened, it's it's huge, it's a big one.
0: So I guess that kind of begs the question. It's been kind of debate on Twitter, especially over the last forty eight forty-eight hours basically since the game concluded. Uh, but I, I was a little bit surprised when the rankings came out. Iowa only at 18. I, I thought they would have moved up at least a couple more, maybe at you know at least 16. I, I, I didn't think they'd break the top 15, maybe 16, uh, because it's, it is a big road win, and the atmosphere that was at in Ames, Iowa was insane. I think they had over 100,000 people around the stadium. stadium was sold out. College game day was there. You know, the, the works. Iowa finds a way to win, but it didn't really do anything to help them despite Iowa State nearly being ranked in the top 25. And I- I've been a defender over the years that Iowa should keep playing Iowa State. It's great for the state. Emotions get heightened, obviously, with a lot of things going on surrounding the Iowa band and Iowa State fans. We don't really know too much about that, so we won't. We don't want to speculate, won't, don't want to push the narrative. If it ends up not being true, we're we'll going to wait for, for the facts to come out. But this is the most highly anticipated Iowa State team that they've had maybe ever Iowa beat them and it did nothing for their national profile and had Iowa lost they would have been out of the top 25 and they would have been they you know they kind of would have been ridiculed for the most part so you know I'm I'm really starting to question whether Iowa should should play Iowa State and I'm I'm starting to lean toward no because it it's really not worth it because it does nothing to them but it can destroy them if they lose. So I don't don't know know what you guys were thinking about, but that I just just don't understand it at this point.
2: I don't know if they would have fell out of the rankings. If you lose – say they're on the opposite end of that, 18-17. I don't think they – were they 19th? They moved to 18th? I don't think they would have have fell out. I think they would have been in the 20s somewhere. Uh, That's not a bad – I mean, Iowa State was 26th. Iowa State probably comes up a few slots. Iowa probably drops a few slots. I mean, I still think this game has value. This is still a good team, a program that's, that is on the rise under Matt Campbell. So, I mean, and I mean, you know, you can see about the extracurriculars with the band and whatnot, which we obviously don't, we don't have any clarity there yet. Um, The university put on a very, very vague um, press release that kind of left people looking around like, wait a second, what happened? So, I mean, there's that stuff but as far as you know the on the field stuff uh, i mean that's a program that's you know they're gonna do some damage in the big 12 they have the last couple of years i still think it's a valuable game on Iowa's schedule
1: yeah i do i do too i think maybe if iowa state was trending in the wrong direction then maybe you could look into maybe scheduling another opponent or giving the the rivalry a couple years of a break but I think with the way both programs are headed, um, obviously Iowa's recruiting a lot better. Iowa State is going to be very, very talented next year. Um, and for years to come too with Matt Campbell at the helm, I I really don't think there's a way that you could let this rivalry go. I think – I know all the band stuff happened, but I think when you look at college game day, how many how many people were hyped for it? How many people were at college game day? How many people are just go to Iowa City or Ames when those two teams are playing – I just don't see a logical reason um, for you to kind of discontinue it. I mean the band gives it a reason, but we don't It'd be a cop out.
0: out. It'd be a cop out for sure.
1: But Yeah, it would be, but you just gotta yeah, I think I think once we see like more details, once everything kinda comes about, then we'll have a we can make more of an opinion when it comes to that. But as of now, I just think the team the the quality on the field is too much to kind of discontinue things. I think you got to look at that and be like, "Hey, we we saw a hell of a football game on Saturday, and that's only going to get better." So, I don't know. And, I, I'm in favor of keeping it for a bit. And, and you know, I'm not sitting here
0: being passionately that they should discontinue it. I don't think it's come to that point. But the the whole, I mean, if Iowa's looking to build their national profile, you dump this game. Yes, schedule some maybe decent ACC teams or even maybe an SEC team. Uh, And you go from there, that that can do more. Even if you lose the game, but Iowa would be better off if they scheduled a constant 9-3, 10-2 SEC team and lost competitively than barely losing to Iowa State. They would be much more appreciated on the national scale, whether that be the SEC bias or what. But that, that's just what it is because Iowa State right now does not have the national profile or the history to back it up. And that, that's just the way it is in, in other people's minds on the outsides. We know because we're in the area what Iowa State has the potential to become with Matt Campbell and some of the talent they're bringing in. But like I said, I really do believe that if Iowa lost that game, they're still receiving votes, but they're out of the top 25. Maybe at best they're sneaking in at 25.
1: Okay, but you look at some of the national analysts that were just drooling over Iowa State during the offseason. Barton Simmons, a couple of the guys at CBS, twenty-four-seven sports. I know a lot of the national guys were high at them. They realize that this program's on the rise and Jack Trice is a tough place to play. I don't I don't see why Iowa would really fall out that bad if they were to lose.
0: My response my response to that, Sean, would be look at the rankings. And look at how far they moved up despite
1: teams around Iowa okay, losing. Okay. But look at the teams that they that are ahead of them with one loss. You got Texas A&M. They lost a tough one to who? Who was it? Clemson, number one team in the country. Oregon. Who did they lose to? I think it was Auburn. And then, let's see, Texas lost a tough game to LSU. There's really no way for them to move when you got other teams ahead of them winning already. They lost. Iowa
0: beat a near top 25 team on the road that okay. and it's a rivalry game that that did at least my justification but it, it, you know i i just think that it i'm not again i'm not saying i'm passionately against it but there's more it's it's like it's, i'm not comparing fcs schools to iowa state so relax people but it, it's just there's more cons than pros for iowa at this point to continue the series with iowa state that okay. that's just that's just what i think
1: I have another question for you. Do you think UCF destroying Stanford was a less impressive win than Iowa State winning on the road at Yes, or Iowa winning on the road at Iowa State? Yes all
0: right I don't I, I, buy, buy the UCF hype, and Stanford had a has a lot of injuries right now on their front, but that again, I'm, I'm definitely on the outside with uh UCF being viewed nationally. I'm in definitely the minority on that. You know, it's a nice team, but we'll, we'll see what happens with them. But I, I guess kind of moving along the conversation, uh, bye week this week probably couldn't have come at a better time. But uh, I, I guess I'll start with you, Dylan, since Sean and I were going back and forth for a couple minutes. I was, uh, it was
2: entertaining, man. I was just, <laughs>
0: I was just soaking it up. Uh, what, what, what's the biggest storyline for Iowa uh, heading into this bye week? Oh, just getting
2: healthy in the defensive backfield. Um, I think there was a point where you tweeted out I was down five of their top six defensive backs, that, that accurate?
0: That was when Geno Stone, I think, got his helmet taken off or he kind of got helped Then They called the timeout. He came back in. But for that, yeah. like, two-minute span, five of their top six DBs were out.
2: No, it's just getting healthy. And, I mean, even if you got to take it into another week, they'll be fine against Middle Tennessee State without – like, if you need – Matt Hankins is going to be out again. Like if it, if one more week would do him good, do it. Even if you only play him for a half against Middle Tennessee State, just to get a little bit of game action under his belt before he goes up against those um, those beasts up in Ann Arbor on the edges for for the Wolverines. Um, so just just getting those guys healthy. If you can get Julius Brunts back too, that helps. But um, DJ Johnson showed that you know, and they picked on him. That was that was clearly the game plan, um, but. You know, he he buckled down. He didn't make excuses, and he. Uh, I really liked what he said post-game too. So that's a mark of a mature young man, and he's going to learn from
1: it and uh, be better for it. Yeah, I mean, I think just staying healthy, um, just getting healthy, getting guys rest, um, getting them caught up in school if they're behind, uh, just kind of being normal people for a couple of days is going to do them really well, just letting them relax, letting them get their mental state ready um because i mean big 10 big 10 conference play is a grind you're playing against physical teams week in week out and it's total it takes its toll on the body and just in your head um just everything so getting healthy is huge getting larry jackson matt hankins however long his timetable may be that he's out um some of the other guys is too if anyone's kind of makai sergeant too that'd be huge to keep him um fully healthy for big 10 play um. yeah just getting just staying healthy and keeping healthy
0: yeah obviously like you guys mentioned the health I think the huge big thing but the second thing that I would say is Nate Stanley and kind of the receivers getting their timing back having another week to get their timing down obviously they're going to practice this week they're, they've they been practicing but it's usually when teams go on a bye week it's more fundamentals they're not game planning ahead they're not because at some point it's just you're beating a dead horse right you, you can overanalyze them and and do some things wrong when it becomes game time because you've overly analyzed too much. I'd like to see Nate and some receivers get back on kind of that right track because I think there were a few miscommunications uh, throughout the Iowa State game. Uh, I'd like to see him and Oliver Martin do some extra work. I know there's been a lot of talk about Oliver Martin, about the lack of usage. My response to those people would be relax because – I do believe when he scored that touchdown in Iowa season opener that it was planned. They wanted to give him his confidence going early. Uh, but then, you know, they were going to kind of sparingly run him for the next couple of games. He's still learning three different positions. Uh, in that last week of fall camp, he did hurt, you know, he dinged up his shoulder a little bit. And those that's one of those injuries where you don't want to bring a guy back too soon because then you could totally wreck them for the next year if, if they re-aggravate it. So I, I anticipate him to really get a, a little bit more run against middle Tennessee state. And then I think we'll see a lot more of Oliver Martin when it, you know, when the, the guys go to Ann Arbor uh, to take on Michigan. So, well,
2: and, it, and I think Dave, I think it'd be different if guys like, uh, you know, Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marsad haven't been in the program already, you know, three seasons. They've sure. had a lot of time to, you know, learn this playbook, learn this offense, get this chemistry with Nate Stanley. So, and that, uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of people thought that Oliver Martin was going to come in and, you know, catch however many balls for however many yards, but, you know, it's good. it was going to take some time. I think everybody knew that. So, I mean, it was kind of surprising to – how many plays – how many snaps did he take on Saturday? You know, I wasn't a lot. Uh, I, I, didn't, know I didn't get a
0: specific number. I'd say maybe five at most. That was maybe, a little surprising. Maybe three to five. That was a little surprising, but, I mean, you know –
2: them kind of you know waiting him into this not you know hey dive right into the deep end um, is what I expected so that shouldn't be anything to you know to be worried about now he gets another week to kind of you know prepare and get more comfortable with the bye week
1: plus look at Nico Regini too Nico was really really good on Saturday made a couple of really tough catches and tough catches that resulted in a first down too so I mean they're kind of the same position kind of the I mean, Martin. You could argue is a little more has a little more upside, uh, a little more speed, playmaking ability. But Reganey is a guy that you can rely on. I mean, we know Oliver is going to be an efficient pass catcher when he comes in. But Nico has been under learning um, for the past two years and has done a heck of a job. So it's not like it's not like the Iowa staff is really holding them back. Um, there's just other guys ahead of them too right now that are really delivering at a high rate.
0: Yeah, Nico's game on Saturday was kind of why we talked about him so much through the offseason, why the coaching staff has. He came up really big a couple of times. Not a guy that's dropping passes. He's always looking to make plays happen. And, I, again, I I think the receiver core continues to kind of live up to, uh, you know, to what, to what people have been talking about. Especially, too, it's always hard to judge this Iowa – when Iowa plays Iowa State with Matt Campbell, it's kind of tough to judge off of it because of that unique defensive front that uh, Matt Campbell runs with that, you know, that three, three, five. So, I mean, it's just such a rare, weird defense that Iowa I think Kirk said he hadn't seen in eight or nine years. So it's, it's tough to take too much away from it, but I do think that uh, I, I think for the most part, they performed well. I do think there were some miscommunications, but again, they, they did the job. They got the win, which is, uh, the biggest thing, and I think right now we're looking at an Iowa team that we'll see what happens with Michigan, Wisconsin this weekend. I think it could be the game of the year across the country so far uh, has potential to be maybe besides the LSU Texas game because that was a heck of a game. But we'll see what happens with that because right now, you know, I don't want to say Iowa's going to win the next next Saturday. I mean, nothing's a given, but they could be going into Ann Arbor undefeated to take on undefeated Michigan team.
2: I think. I think. Not to catch you off there, Dave, I think you'd be a little irresponsible if we didn't talk about the clock management at the end of the first half and then at, at the end of the game on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, <laughs> it's just kind of <laughs> head scratching, man. Like, you know, they got these three timeouts in their back pocket and they're just letting the time run down. I think they completed a pass with a minute left and then they didn't hike the next, they didn't run the next play until there was 21 seconds left and it's just it's just confusing when you you know, you're in such a tight game and you know points are gonna be at a premium. You have three you have three timeouts, they give them to you for a reason. So for you to use them. So I mean, I just I don't know if Kirk was asked about that after the game and no, how we didn't get sent a presser, but that was that was just a little confusing for me.
1: I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it'll be asked tomorrow too at media availability, kind of what was going through the head. Maybe they didn't realize, maybe they maybe they had something up their sleeve that didn't end up working out. Who really knows? Maybe there was miscommunication, whatever.
0: So we don't get Kirk tomorrow. We get Brian and Phil, but I'm sure it will come up in the conversation with Brian because that was a good point, Dylan, because we do need to talk about that. I mean, it's been the past two weeks that there's been very questionable uh, clock management. I mean, like you said, Iowa had three timeouts. They looked like they were going to score – And the only justification to play devil's advocate, the only justification I have for that is they didn't want Iowa state to get the ball back because of how shaky the defense was. But even if you use that logic, they got to take a couple shots in the end zone or do something because they were playing all that check down, Mm -hmm. you know, check down three yard slant, get out of bounds and let the clock run. I think they had the ball at, Iowa states 40 with like what, 2 minutes and 30 seconds left or something like that. I mean, they had all the time in the world to try to scheme up a way to uh to get a touchdown, but I think they were so terrified of giving Brock Purdy the ball back with how shaky the the first half was for Iowa that they just didn't want they just didn't want to deal with it. The chilling new original docu series on Paramount Plus. like don't you know play not to lose football and we've seen how I don't know how many times in the past that that's cost Iowa
2: yeah they they ran a play at you know the Iowa State 35 they ran torn young for for no game with about right around two minutes left and yeah they just dwindled it down eventually got down to the 22 and that was when Duncan knocked home the 40 yarder but I mean you know it it kind of comes you know that's kind of Kirk's brand of football is kind of You know, and and you might be right, Dave. Maybe he didn't want to give the ball back to Purdy. You know, they were kind of driving there, um, the drive before they were in Iowa. They're in the red zone, and Brock Purdy coughed it up. So maybe he was just trying to, you know, just dwindle it down. Get like get this thing to the half. Um, You know, we'll regroup and then and then you know we'll come out come out in the second half maybe more prepared. But yeah, that was just a little confusing. And then towards the end of the game with the pass on third and seven to Nate, we need. I mean. You know, you want to remain unpredictable, I think. But that right there is a point where you know your defense has kind of been, you know, holding pretty strong there in the second half, out of the first play of the of the half. And you know, you throw it to him, he goes out of bounds, and then the clock stops, and Iowa State doesn't have any timeouts. Um, luckily, you get, you know, you get those two guys running into each other, they cough it up, and you get the ball. But that was, you know, that was just a little confusing for me as well. Throwing there the ball Greg
0: Davis esque. See, <laughs> so, I mean that's at least what it reminded me of. But no, I mean like like you said that that it's just it's just hard to kind of ima- like think about the the thought process behind those plays. You know, I'm not the one in their shoes. I'm not the one making the calls. I kind of hate calling out plays that the staff runs because I feel like it's not my position to. But like you said, I think head scratching is probably the best way to sum it up because I don't understand the logic uh behind that because I think even though Nate Weeding ran out of bounds, I think Iowa State I didn't they have one timeout left after he ran out of bounds. They they called it or were they out of timeouts no, going into the third sure. down?
2: I'm pretty sure they were out because they called two. They called one after the sergeant run and then Sergeant ran it again on second down and they called I think that was their last one. They did not yeah. have a timeout left. I I'm pretty I'm pretty sure.
0: I'll I'll have to check back in the uh the play log for that, but yeah, you know that that's just bizarre to me that that at least get Nate Weeding trying to get past the first down. You know, if you throw an incomplete pass, uh, not the end of the world. Yeah, you're right. They they were out of timeouts at that point. Yeah, I checked. Man, that yeah. So like like you said, I, I feel like if 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 Iowa State gets that ball, uh, you know, and the two guys don't run into each other, who knows what happens but as 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 we mentioned multiple like throughout the podcast they, they found a way to win some Iowa teams don't they played good special teams and they beat Iowa state usually those things when combined you know I, iowa sets up for you know a 9 10 win season i mean that that's historically under kirk Ferentz, that's just what it's been and i know i was a little bit lofty with my 10 2 prediction and iowa state was one of the biggest games whether or not they would get to the 9 or 10 game threshold but they, they they found a way to escape out of Ames, um, Dave. Now that I'm looking at
2: it here, they may have had that last timeout. Now that I'm looking at the play log here, but I mean, either way, you know, force them to call it. I mean, run it, force them to call it. Then you give them the ball back with no timeouts. I mean, either way, it's the pass was was confusing for me, and I, I don't know, it didn't, it did not make much sense. It didn't really go along with what Iowa likes to do either.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, oh, okay, Uh, just to get clarity on the actual timeout, Iowa State, according to the game log, Iowa State called their first timeout after Geno Stone had in, got injured, quote-unquote, and then came back in after the timeout. So that was their first. And then they spent the two on the final drive. Okay. And going into that third down, they had no timeout. So Iowa could they have ran a
2: clock. So they were out of them, yeah. They okay. were out of
0: them. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think we've kind of – Summed it up pretty well. I think Iowa's needs to get get back healthy. Uh, I want to give a quick shout to to Sean for being all all on top of the Iowa basketball recruiting beat. Uh, There's a new 2021 offer today. Uh, Also, an Iowa forward target committed to Wisconsin before taking his scheduled official visit to Iowa. Um, uh, This week it would have been, or next week. But uh, Sean's been putting out a ton of VIP content. So, uh, you know, if you're a member, uh, just be sure to go check it out. $1 for the first month. And uh, Sean, Sean's been kind of killing that beach. So, uh, you know, proud of you, Sean. Wow, thank you, Dave.
2: There's a chance that Sean might not be with us anymore. That's what I was thinking. I was like, you know what? I, he hasn't said anything in a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I just have another podcast that I'm preparing for, too. Yeah. And
0: I, we're taking yeah. second fiddle, apparently, Dylan.
1: That's okay. That's okay. It'll It happens.
0: Yeah, just don't let it happen again, big time. But uh, we'll we'll be back next week. Uh, depending on how much content we get out of tomorrow, we may do a very short one just to kind of wrap up uh, the conversations we have with Phil Parker and Brian Ferentz tomorrow. But you know, we'll 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 cross that bridge when we come to it. As always, stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for the latest twenty four seven sports, and uh, we'll gear up for Middle Tennessee State uh, next Saturday. But until then, just kind of. You know, kick back, relax, enjoy what should be a uh like well, pretty solid weekend of a uh, college football. So for David Eicholt, Sean Bach, Dylan Byrne, we'll catch you guys later.